Well, good morning, everybody. Yeah, it's great to see the building full. Uh, I'm a member here at Wild Street AM, and so I do want to add my welcome to refresh to all of our different congregations. And I think today there are three sources of refreshment. The first one is we've come together. Hasn't COVID been difficult? Uh, those online uh, meetings that we had in our lounge room while we heard the word of God, there's nothing quite like being together and having a cup of tea together and chatting with each other. So I hope you're refreshed by that in your own congregations and here as we're gathered together. Secondly, um, a little bit like Rod was saying a a moment ago, uh, to hear what God is doing in the midst of us because each of us does our own activity in church but as a family to hear what God is doing, to see what's happening in the children's ministry, to hear what's happening in training. Next session we're going to hear about ESL and the Mandarin ministries and it is a wonderful thing to be refreshed to see that even though I might not be engaged in it, being able to pray for and help other people in it sees the kingdom of God go forward. And so we've got the scripture that we've just heard in passing. We've got Jesus Club. We've got cared for the people who are infirm. There's the times where we go down and have done breakfast in some of the housing commission areas. They are all great ministries. And so I hope you're refreshed as you're hearing from each other. I hope you're refreshed not just in what God is doing in the southeast, but I hope it's a refreshment as well that says, what else can I do? How can I work alongside other people in seeing the name of Jesus go out from here? And thirdly, I hope we can be refreshed by seeing what God is doing and what God has done. Because if I'm honest with you, and I want to be honest, and I suspect it's the same for you, Uh, If you've heard the message of Jesus week after week after week, year after year after year, it becomes, oh yeah, I know that. And I hope that today as we read Isaiah chapter 53, you can be refreshed at the incredible thing that God has done for you. And uh, so I've been given both sessions today to take us through that passage that Joyce just read so well uh, to us. It's a passage that continues to reshape our expectations of what life is like in the here and now and what it will be for all of eternity. And I know that two 25-minute sermons can't even begin to do justice to these 15 verses that we've been looking at, but at least we're going to give it a start. The verses that we're going to look at this morning, they're like signposts in history that tell us what's important, what the important things are that are going to happen. They were written seven centuries before Jesus, 27 centuries before us, but they are like signposts that warn you about what's ahead, how you're going to proceed. So just like signposts that you see on the road, there's a funny one there that you'll be able to notice. Um, And so, yes, somebody's seen it. But that's what signposts do. As you're driving, you can't see what's ahead, so the signpost warns you about what's ahead so you can be prepared and you can take notice of it. That's what Isaiah chapter 53 is doing. Or if you're one of those people that reads those uh, mystery novels, those whodunit novels by authors such as Agatha Christie, uh, the way they work is they give you a little bit of information, usually in the opening chapter, 
And it's a piece of information that seems irrelevant or unimportant. But when you get to the point of the great reveal where the murderer is seen, you say, ah, that piece of information that we got way back in chapter 1 that I didn't pay any attention to, that's the thing that holds it all together. And Isaiah 53 is like that. As you read Isaiah, you could have almost just read over it and missed all that's going on here until you see the future, until you see the outcome and you see why it's so important. So what is exposed here today in Isaiah chapter 53 impacts us every day, every week, every year and every century from the day that they were first penned by Isaiah. And so what I've done is I've broken uh, this chapter into two talks. The first one is the longer one, and it takes us from chapter 52, verse 13, through to chapter 53, verse 9, where we'll see our surprising replacement. And then after morning tea, probably more importantly before the Doyle Silverman Cup, uh, we're looking at verses 10 to 12, where our focus moves to the benefits to us of what Jesus has accomplished. So firstly, to chapter 52, verse uh, 13 through to verse 9 of chapter 53. This decade that we have been in has been full of surprises, hasn't it? Who would have guessed a decade ago that we would have gone through such terrible drought? Such life-taking bushfires, the floods of this year, the pandemic... And if anything, the surprises have only intensified in 2022. I'm not talking about last week's election. I'm thinking about Ukraine, where we have all witnessed, you can't help but see on our TV, on our devices, in the newspapers, everything that's been going on. So we got to 2022 in January and February. We saw the build-up of the Russian troops on the Ukraine border over 150,000 troops. But that isn't the most surprising thing that's happened in 2022. The invasion on Thursday the 24th of February where the Russians tried to attack Kiev, not just the east as everybody thought they would do, but that's not the most surprising thing. Then there was the expectations that the Russians would be victorious and victorious within two days. But now three months have passed without any sense of who's going to be victorious. But that's not even the most surprising thing that has happened in Ukraine. I think the most surprising aspect of this war that no one would have expected in the thing that has changed or is changing the outcome is a response by President Zelensky, who I think will no doubt be named as Time magazine's Man of the Year. Because here you have a man of exceptional ability, don't you? Exceptional courage. There was a former American commander in the Ukraine who, when the Russian troops were amassed against Ukraine, offered to extract President Zelensky from Kiev as the, as the Russian forces were massing to move on that capital. But he refused. And then as the invasion began and after that first wild night of intense fighting, the offer was made to the president again, and the president replied in his own words, the fight is here. I need ammunition, not a ride. And that statement then became the top-selling T-shirt 
uh, of this year. What a brave and honourable man he is. He is more concerned for his people than for his own well-being. He's inseparable from his nation. He was one of them. He was going to go through what they were going through. And he was an inspiration to everyone to keep going. And it was surprising. And the outcome of his action has and is having an ongoing impact on world affairs. And I am sure as people write the history of this decade, they'll look back on this event as one of the turning points of world history. As we look at Ukraine though, that is nothing near as surprising as what Isaiah saw and we had the privilege of hearing as Joyce read it to us. Because Isaiah did not see a man who changed the world by standing with his people, by being one of them. Isaiah saw a man who was not just one of us, not just one who stood beside his people in their darkest hour, but a man who went through what we should go through, not beside us, but instead of us. Because the person who Isaiah saw, who he calls the servant, who we've already met in chapters 42 and 49, doesn't just stand with you as you go through the distress, but takes and bears all of the pain that rightly belongs to you and me. He takes all of that and the punishment that is associated with it and he takes it on himself so that I don't have to take the judgment, so that you don't have to take the judgment. President Zelensky, for all the impact that he's had, can't do that. But the servant does. If you haven't been with us over the past month, it's great to have you here with us today, but if you have been with us, the secret of who the servant is has already been revealed. His name has been given to us, not just servant, his name is Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the Christ. And Jesus, who came 700 years after Isaiah wrote about him, he is the servant. I, Isaiah gave the clue. Uh, the clue is here in Isaiah chapter 53, like in that opening chapter of an Agatha Christie novel. It's a warning or it's a road sign. And if you knew the future, you would know how important these words are. And we know the future, and so we can look at these words and see how important they are. We know the future and we will look at these words and see just how surprising the servant is and hear how the servant replaces us. And I hope that at the end of this first session, I hope at the end of the second session, the same thing happens with you. It will lead us all to thankfulness as it should. So we're looking at what Isaiah said in 700 BC and seeing how what he promised actually comes about and is fulfilled and displayed in what Jesus did in the first century, 700 years between Isaiah and Jesus. And in those 700 long years, no one ever came close to being so surprising and so able to fulfil what Isaiah promised, as did Jesus. And 2,000 years since Jesus, no one has ever even approached what Isaiah promised and hoped for, only the servant, 
only Jesus. So first of all then, the surprising service servant. As this story unfolds, let's have a look at this surprising identity of the servant. You know, we, we get a little bit, oh yeah, I know all about this because we know who he is. But the identity of the servant matters, not because it's just interesting, but because of the terrible situation of the people of Israel in 700 BC and the way that for them it's only going to get worse and the servant is their only hope. Because life is bad and going to get worse, the servant would have to be special. He would have to be powerful. He would have to be impressive. In the day when Isaiah would have written that great city of Jerusalem was in fear of being destroyed by invading armies. Armies that were more powerful than Israel were. And if it hadn't yet happened, the city would have been attacked, uh, but it wouldn't have been taken because the city of Jerusalem is at the top of the mountain and so the enemy armies couldn't come and invade Jerusalem. But what they could do was they could starve the city. And so the inhabitants of Jerusalem in about 702 BC were so starved that some of them even ate their own children. That is a horrific idea, isn't it? That is the sort of world into which Isaiah is speaking and it is only going to get worse over the next 100 years. And then finally, in 597 and in 586 BC, the young and the brightest people were taken out of Jerusalem, taken into Babylon to be trained to become the great leaders of that enemy nation. But a servant would come who would set things right. He would pull the people out of their deep blackness, a blackness that is far worse than what we have seen this year in Ukraine. And who he is is so surprising. If you would turn over to page 574 of your Bibles, I'm afraid I don't know what page number it is in the Mandarin versions of it. Isaiah chapter 52 verse 13. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and will be exalted. The servant will be full of wisdom. He will be exalted, he will be lifted up so that all might see his splendour and all might worship him. And even though there are other kings of other nations, they'll all be startled, startled and they'll have no answer to who the, this servant is. They will not be able to match his power. But they would never have guessed his identity. This servant is not like our leaders. Our leaders tend to be tall, dark and handsome or tall, blonde and handsome, but not this one. Verse 14 of chapter 52. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond that of human semblance and his form beyond that of any of the children of mankind. There was nothing in his ancestry, nothing in his background, nothing in his youth that would make you take notice. And down in chapter 53, verse 2. For he grew up before him as a young plant and a root in dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. Nothing in this servant would make you think, ah, this is the one. In fact, it's not just that no one would have even noticed. They turned their faces, they screwed up their face and they averted their eyes from him. Sadly, 
If you're like me, you may have walked past many of the beggars who are in the corners of the streets of our city. Those beggars who have their heads down, who avoid making eye contact. And as I walk past, I don't know anything about them. I ignore them. I just want them to, be, to disappear, really. And that is the image of the servant in chapter 53, verse 3. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Isn't that surprising? Kings and nations will take notice and bow down to the servant, but he is unnoticeable. In fact, someone who you don't even want to look at, look at, let alone expect anything great from. A little bit like a comedian who holds back the mighty Russian army, but so much more. And then 700 years later, we meet Jesus, who is the servant. And because we have records that are so good, we know lots about him. Jesus was born out of marriage. Not through premarital sex between Joseph and Mary, but because God gave Mary supernatural birth of a son without her even having had sex. That is surprising. And he was born to a teenage girl whose fiancé was a carpenter in a far distant, tiny little town, born in a room that was occupied by animals, not in a great hospital with nursing care. That is surprising. And when he began teaching crowds and he taught with such authority, they asked, who is this man? Don't we know his parents? His parents are nobodies. Where did he get this wisdom? And when he is out on the lake with fishermen, with his disciples, who were seasoned sea people, and they were terrified for their lives in that boat because of the huge storm that they were in. And they woke up Jesus who was asleep in the back of the boat and Jesus stood at the back of the boat and spoke just three words and the storm was stilled. And the disciples blurted out, Who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? That is surprising. Surprising to all those around Jesus, just as the servant would surprise everyone in Isaiah 53. That promise given in Isaiah 53 in 700 BC, so surprisingly accurate. But Isaiah has more to say than that the servant would just be surprising that no one would expect him to be able to free the people to lead them out of their great uh, blackness was surprising enough, but there is so much more. The servant will not just be smart, a brave, a wise leader, as good as that would be. The main task of the servant is to be a replacement for a nation that is under the judgment of God. Under the judgment of God. For it's not accidental that when Isaiah writes... Israel faces their bleak, devastating future because they are being judged by God. Judged 
by God because their entire history had been tied up with God and their entire history had been God who loved them, who was with them, who had given them everything and they didn't listen to God. They ignored God. God who blessed them day after day and as they took those blessings in their hands, they looked around and they said, oh, which God will we serve today? And so they disobeyed God even though he'd given everything and everything that he had commanded them was for their good. And so now judgment is going to befall these people. And how could that possibly be fixed up? The judgment of God is right. But how could the people possibly recover from that? Someone like President Zelensky cannot defeat or turn away God's judgment. No one can. No military power, no might can do it. No amount of cunning can accomplish the overturn of God's judgment. That is impossible. The judgment of God, because he is a God of justice, must be delivered. What hope is there for deliverance for these people? What hope is there for deliverance for us? Only the servant. Only the servant. His identity is surprising, but what he does is unimaginable. The servant takes the judgment that belongs to every member of Israel, every person who is looking down the face of years of painful punishment from God, and takes and dumps it on himself. Chapter 53, verse 6, if you've still got that open. All we like sheep have gone astray, We've turned every one to his own way and the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Every person in Israel had turned away from God. You see it with that image of the sheep and the balloons that came down here today. They're one following the other. If you're unfamiliar with sheep, think about ants. As I do malicious things to a line of ants at home, I get the poison out and I put a little bit to the side and all I need is one of the ants to go and taste that poison and then all the other ants follow. And that's what Israel has done. Israel, instead of following the pathway that God has so generously given, have gone and followed one after the other. And the judgment of God then falls on the whole nation. And then comes the servant... God lays on the servant our sin. The sin that every human being has is laid on him. He's a replacement, he's a switch, so that the sheep no longer face the judgment of God. Here is it, because I've been influenced by Eleanor, I'm going to give you a little visual aid. There we go. Not just that the servant is surprising, what he does is surprising. This is us, symbolised by this black ink in this cup. And because we have turned our back on God, we are under the judgement of God. And along comes the servant. Well, the servant standing beside those with black ink doesn't do anything, does he? The fact that the servant can put his arm around those who are in blackness can't do anything. They still remain covered in black. But here is what the servant does. This judgment of God 
that is rightly on people, rightly on every one of us sitting here in Wild Street today. Sorry, cleaners. <laughs> that is what happens with the servant. Those who deserve the judgment of God no longer bleak and black because the servant has taken it. And here my ability with visual aids is terrible because I can still see some black <laughs> in the bottom of that. Don't know, don't know what to do about that. But we sang before, no power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hands till he returns and takes me home. There is no blackness left. The replacement of the servant is absolute and complete. The glass is absolutely clean. Do you see what Isaiah is saying when the surprising servant comes? Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. That is the wrongdoings that we deserve. And upon him the chastisement that brings us peace. With his wounds we have been healed. And what's it going to be like when that servant comes? What's going to happen to enable that replacement to take place? Isaiah tells us in verse 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Jesus is the innocent one that Isaiah here speaks about. And as he is brought before Pilate in that sham and fake trial, that trial where they could sentence him to death, all sorts of accusations that were made that could easily have been refuted. And yet he was silent before them, just as Isaiah had said. And Isaiah goes on, By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked... And with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and no deceit was found in his mouth. If you know the Easter story, you know the story of Joseph of Arimathea, who was a rich man, who at the death of Jesus asked if he could have Jesus' body buried in his tomb. He was ascribed a grave with a rich man in his death. He committed no deceit, was found on his mouth. That is exactly what happened to Jesus. Isaiah promised what would happen. And exactly as Isaiah said, it happened. And if you had lived in Palestine in 33 AD, you would have seen it. But as I finish, here is an even greater twist. A greater twist than the surprise of who the servant is. A greater twist than he stands in the place of people under the judgment so that he might take their judgment. The greatest twist of all 
is that it is not just Israel that he replaces, but it's you and me. As they led that innocent man to the mock trial, and as they ridiculed him, they wrapped him in a purple cloak like a king, and they put a crown of thorns on his head, and then they blindfolded him and pretended to bow down and worship him. And they crucified the servant, and then they took his clothes and they had a lottery for who would own them. And as he was thirsting there, hanging on the cross, they gave him vinegar to drink so they could laugh at him and they spat on him some more. But he didn't do that just for Israel. He did it for you and me. You and I who keep taking the good things of God that this world and this country and our peace offers and we who don't say thank you to God, we don't care to listen to him and so we on whom the judgment of God should rightly come, he hung there on the cross as my replacement and as your replacement and as he breathed his last words, he said, Forgive them, Father, because they don't know what they're doing. And the Father said, Because of what you have done, I have forgiven them. Do you see what this replacement meant for him as he laid down his life for you? Do you see what this replacement means for us? that by his death we are healed. I want you just to spend a moment to sit and to take that in because it is so easy to say, yeah, I know that, yeah, I know that, yeah, I know that. The opening words of the Agatha Christie novel, Isaiah 53, tell us what the future holds. Jesus completely fulfills that and we benefit from it. Spend a moment on it and I want you to think about why would you have any response other than being thankful for the surprising work of the servant for you. Spend a moment doing that before we sing.